0: Hello, I'm David Moskroff. Welcome to Open to Debate, brought to you by Interact. In January, the Broadcasting and Telecommunications Legislative Review Panel released its report, Canada's Communications Future, Time to Act. The recommendations are sprawling. Some are wise and timely, others are invasive and unnecessary, advocating a highly regulated internet and an interventionist communications regulator in service of, among other things, the future of Canadian content and culture on the internet, in the broadcast sphere, and beyond. What the panel and its defenders uh, sometimes take for granted cannot simply be asserted, so we must ask, does Canadian content need saving? Today we discuss the BTLR review, Canadian content and culture, the future of the CBC, and more. I'm joined by Daniel Bernhard, uh, the Executive Director of the advocacy organization Friends of Canadian Broadcasting. Now, let's start with a sprint through something we agree on, and then we can get off to more complicated and perhaps uh, productive disagreement. You support a sales tax on streaming
1: and other media services, is that right? Uh, I support a sales tax, uh, Friends of Canadian Broadcasting supports a sales tax Um, That applies equally to all businesses in the marketplace. It makes uh, absolutely no sense to have Canadian companies that have an obligation to collect and remit sales taxes and their foreign better capitalized competitors be able to just pocket that money. Uh, So, uh, yeah, we support an equal playing field in the broadcasting industry as with all industries. It just makes sense.
0: I asked somebody about this once because I had bought a video game on a a an online platform through, through PlayStation. And you don't get charged sales tax if you buy the game through the platform, the PlayStation store online. If you buy it at the local video game store, you do get, a, you are charged a sales tax. And I, I wrote to someone who, who I know works for the CRA and I said, well, what, how can this possibly be? Because it struck me as absurd. And she said, oh, well, you're meant to remit it yourself, and I thought I don't think people are going to do that.
1: <laughs> I, I think the, the number of toonies that are in the post to CRA right now is probably quite uh, quite low.
0: <laughs> yeah, me too. So okay, so we agree that it's absurd that GST HST isn't being charged to streaming services, video game services, etc., etc., etc. Right? I mean,
1: all all of them. I mean, yeah. like th- there's this myth that um, Netflix, for example, um, is some global service uh, into which Canadians just you know tap in. Uh, And, and of course, that's absurd, the way that the rights market works. Um, They buy rights for shows that they can only show in Canada. Someone else owns the rights for Italy or England or whatever. So the Netflix that you and I buy in Canada only exists in Canada. Its marketing is only to Canadians. It is sold in Canadian dollars. It's paid through Canadian banks. It is a business. It is a broadcasting business in Canada its competitors have to charge taxes, but also make other contributions to the system. It just doesn't make sense. Um, in many countries, they have protectionist policies um, to keep their firms at an advantage. And in Canada, we have this reverse national treatment. And right. so what the panel is suggesting is, I mean, if it's even remotely considered controversial, I think that's really sad. We just have to stop disadvantaging our own firms uh, through... through Public policy, and that 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 seems like a like a pretty simple proposition to me.
0: Yeah, I think part of the problem is uh, people conflate the idea of the mere application of a sales tax to a Netflix tax, which is a different thing. And I, I worry that one of the communications exercises that the government may not uh, excel at is convincing people that there's a difference between applying a sales tax, which already applies to competitors and applying a special sort of Netflix tax. And for that, I blame Stephen Harper, uh, who who made it an election issue in 2015.
1: and, And I think, Played up this idea of a of a, ne- a Netflix tax. Yeah, I mean the Netflix tax is so funny because it doesn't exist. Yes. Um, Stephen Harper created it so that he could oppose it in uh, in a really cringeworthy video. Actually, I'd encourage your listeners if you if you want to you know feel badly about something or awkward, you should go watch Harper's is announcement that can- does of this.
0: Does it count as CanCon? That
1: video? Uh, I'm not. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. He said that he liked watching Breaking Bad, which is on Netflix, with a Netflix screen behind him. Right. And anyway, it's a really bad story, but he created it just to oppose it. And very, very quickly, um, the the leader of what was then the third party, who's now the prime minister, um, uh, jumped in and said, "Yeah, we'll have no Netflix tax either." But this is something that is being opposed. But was actually never proposed, <laughs> okay. um, and so it's a, it's really unfortunate language. What we are advocating for, and what many people are advocating for, and what the panel is advocating for, is for equal treatment, no more, no less, um, the, the same as all their competitors, level playing field, you know, uh, um, straight up competition, no no punitive taxes that treat. You know, international firms differently to Canadian ones. Um, Actually, that's the problem we're trying to solve. We want them to all be treated the same.
0: Okay, well, let's get into that by way of a couple of conceptual distinctions. So, the the Broadcasting and Telecommunications Legislative Review Panel, which I'll now call the BRT…
1: Bitler… Bitler, it's easier. Just
0: Bitler, just, it is. Just it, Bitler. It sounds yeah. like a California startup, you know, an app that uh, eats your groceries for you or something like that. Bitler.
1: I, I'm sure they'd uh, they'd be happy to bask in the glow of that. Uh, yeah,
0: reception. I'm sure they would be heavily capitalized and not turn a profit for half a century. It'd make a lot of people wealthy somehow,
1: anyway, and live in glamour.
0: Yeah, mm. the Uber model. Uh, well, okay, so uh, Bitler uh, distinguishes between curators, aggregators, and platforms. So, so curators is roughly speaking. Netflix, Amazon Prime, these folks, uh, aggregators are sort of Yahoo News uh, and, and the like, and, and platforms of Facebook, Twitter, and so on.
1: Is that about right? Uh, yeah, that's how they describe it. Uh, curators, a- aggregators, and sharing is the, sharing, is the word yeah, they right. use. Yeah.
0: And, and sharing is just, that would be a, a
1: user-driven platform site where you're sharing content. Yeah, where the platform is, um, is, not, is not creating the content right. um, or deciding what gets posted Originally, yeah. whereas we'll cura- get into that that's sure an interesting and, yeah, distinction because
0: about. curators, for instance, would have editorial
1: control over what they're doing, whereas aggregators wouldn't right I mean they're yeah, so um, an aggregator is Yahoo News is the example that's used they go around, they find a bunch of headlines, and they put them together, and they say, "Here you go, what a racket, yeah well, I mean it's a service, yeah, um it's a service, and people value that service they use it that's great, uh, but they're also you know making um. Uh, advertising dollars, they're, they're charging fees, they're doing all this without actually paying for any of that content or contributing to its financing. So, you know, the real reason that this panel exists, and I think this is something that has really been missed, and it's unfortunate that it's been missed in the conversation. Why, why do we need this? Why are we here? Yeah, and that's what I'd like to know. We're, we're here because the people who create the content, especially journalism, are not getting paid for it, and they're disappearing. Mm-hmm. and and so you know when when we talk about the the hysteria that's been attending this report and I'm sure you'll 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 raise some of the points and we'll we'll get into them but oh the free press is finished and all this kind of stuff the biggest threat to the free press is its slow motion extinction which is happening sure. right now and so if people are worried about the disappearance of free media what they should do is nothing uh and watch what happens so this is this is the problem we're trying to solve canada's number one source of news is facebook Facebook employs zero the, journalists. They're a source of
0: accessing yes. other people's news. Yes. Not Facebook, I, yeah.
1: Yeah, including reading headlines and scanning and all this stuff. Facebook is where people go to get their news more than any other source. And it's also the number one thing that they do on Facebook is consume news. Abacus Data did, did some research on this. And so, okay, fine. So they're then making all the advertising dollars. They're collecting all the data. They don't employ a single journalist. They don't pay... The content creators for making this stuff that they're then selling. And so, this report is trying to grapple with a situation where this incredible public good information, but also entertainment programming, Mm -hmm. is is in demand, Mm -hmm. is profitable, but just not for the people who make it. And therefore, its production is compromised. We have a market failure, essentially. And so, what the, the different categories of content um, Wait, so was, participants is trying to do, they're trying to say, how can everybody contribute to the system to make sure that it survives, and they're trying to distinguish because different people have different types of businesses, and they sh- their contributions um, should take into account the nature of their business. So, if Facebook's contribution won't be the same as Netflix because they work differently, and so that's what the distinction sure. is between curators, aggregators, and, and sharers, is to say, you have a different business, then your contributions should be a little bit different to take into account the the way that you operate
0: which makes sense to me what's the what's the market failure though
1: the market failure is that there is an increasing demand for for news content um, but the money is not going to the people who produce it and so news has always been been
0: rife with market failures though right subscriptions have never supported uh, news media They, they relied on advertising
1: that's fine and
0: those advertising you know much of which would come from the government in this country. Uh, a significant portion for years in newspapers were government ad buys and so on.
1: Well, so, and- some of it. I mean, the government spends, you'll have to check the figure, but, you know, a few hundred million dollars a year on advertising. Yeah. The Canadian media industry that, you know, is Relying on advertising primarily is like a seventeen billion dollar industry, according yeah. to the report. So it's a fraction. But it's been it's been moving too, right? I mean, that you, you've,
0: you've spoken about this elsewhere. That move, that money is moving to the online platforms. Um, it is moving there because that's where the eyeballs are moving. Uh, Facebook, as you said, provides a service, sort of in the way that the aggregators do. It's where you go to To get your news, and and you could argue that what that's done is allowed people to have access to more news from different sources than they've ever had in their lives. Because in the past, you'd have to go down to the newsstand; you weren't going to buy fifteen different newspapers. Um, and, and yet, it uh, there's a significant problem because, as you said, uh, that advertising money is now going to them and not going to the newspapers. So the newspapers are also, I, I think, compelled to be complicit in their own demise now because they have to use that they have to publish online and go through these places but so what do you do about that
1: Mm -hmm. well i mean i think the problem is is a big one it took us a long time to get here it's going to take us a long time to climb out um and so i i like to say to think about it not what do you do what do you do first right what do you do first and so i think there are a couple of 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 easy um easy things that can be done, some which are mentioned in the report, but actually one big one that's not. Um, There have been problems like this in the past. Um, In the 70s, we had a problem with um, U.S. border stations when broadcasting was still through the air. If you were a Car dealer in, you know, Burlington, Ontario, and you wanted to sell trucks to men between the ages of 30 and 45. Yeah, I
0: I grew up in Peterborough, so I, I, and listened to Buffalo Station. So Burlington Coat Factory is burned into my mind. There
1: you go. And so, um, the the idea though if you wanted to reach those consumers was well they'll all be watching nfl football on sunday that's broadcast from some station in in buffalo new york over the air over the lake and so the car dealer would place the ad with the station in buffalo because they had network content from the states but actually they were a small little business right and so this was this was killing the, the media industry and so the government said okay You can do that. We're not going to ban this, but you can't deduct the cost of those ads from your taxes. So, you can do it, but it'll cost you a little bit more. Up to you. And that is applied to television, radio, magazines, newspapers. For people who are you know interested in the minutia, it's Section 19 of the Income Tax Act. They can go check it out. And we don't apply those laws online. So digital foreign advertising in Canada, most of which goes to Google and Facebook, is a seven plus billion dollar industry every year, which should not be tax deductible according to our current laws. So we are actually, you say that the money is moving to Google and Facebook because the eyeballs are moving there. Well, it's not so simple. The money is also moving because we're providing these tax incentives to do it. And the money is also moving because... Google and Facebook are able to sell their ads really, really cheap because they don't have to pay for editors. They don't face any consequences when they broadcast the Christchurch massacre or other types of things that would land you and me in jail if we said them right here. Um, they, they don't pay for the content that they sell. They don't pay the users for the data that they acquire and sell. So they are, they are, uh, they're selling ads are deliberately and knowingly false, according to their own fact-checkers by politicians. Um, so they are actually selling things that are straight-up illegal for their competitors to sell. Obviously, that's going to lower the cost that you can offer it at, and they don't collect sales tax, and they don't pay corporate income tax. So, you know, it's it's not a fair fight to just say that, oh, well, you know, uh, the buggy whip industry went down screaming too, Is is I think actually really inaccurate, and we have a much bigger problem here. And so... First thing I would do is to level the playing field and apply our existing laws. If they broadcast things that are illegal, they should be punished in the same way that other broadcasters were. If they, um, if they are a foreign advertising undertaking, their product should not be tax deductible, just like their 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 equivalents. So I think we have a lot that we can do that's already on the books. What's missing is will and, and leadership, frankly.
0: So does this treat them like broadcasters? Does this turn everyone into a broadcaster? By default?
1: Mm-hmm. So this is, I think, a um a really good question. And I think it's the question that the panel was really trying to grapple with. Yeah. Right? What what's in and what's out? Um and there are a couple places where they say, you know, um alphanumeric transmissions, so of like text, which was not previously broadcasting, should be considered, you know, as part of this new media um concept. Like they're trying to get rid of broadcasting and talk about media content as a more general term but they don't want to go they don't want to go too far so what's in and what's out i think that's a that's a a good question but i also think it's a bit of a distraction because everyone talks about immediately goes to the edge cases yes and the edge cases are like five percent of the cases and i think you can deal with the 95 percent first and figure out the rest later. So, when Facebook broadcasts the Christchurch massacre to a global audience of 2.5 billion people, leaves it up for days, YouTube, same thing, Um, they are, in my opinion, breaking the law in Canada, right? That is redistribution of hate speech. If CTV did it or CBC did it, people would go to jail, right? Um, They are sending video from one source to many receivers. That's the definition of broadcasting in the Broadcasting Act. So, they're broadcasting broadcasting.
0: The difference being that this is user-generated and, and not run through businesses.
1: Yeah, so I think that's also, again, another... It changes things, though. Yeah, I, I do think it changes things, but actually less than maybe maybe we, we take for granted. Okay. I think there is a, a fundamental misunderstanding about how these platforms work. So when facebook uh, gets hauled before congress or 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 you know their pr people yeah. say they say oh like we've taken all these incredible measures you know um we have ai that automatically filters out child porn we have ai that automatically filters out isis videos and stuff like that okay so what does that mean what it means is that they are by their own admission when you publish something when you click post they have a, a computer program that interprets what you are posting, decides whether it is suitable to post, and then if it passes the test, posts it. So that is understanding of the content and a decision to publish. How that is different to what a newspaper publisher does, I'm not entirely sure. You can send the most hateful, bigoted, awful, you know, letter to the editor, to the Globe and Mail that you want.
0: Oh, I receive those all the time. Yeah,
1: yeah. And you, yeah. Can, you can say anything you want. That's free speech, right? Go for it. They don't have to put it on the front page. That's their discretion. And... Uh, And what Facebook does is actually much more similar by their own admission. And then they also have these content moderators, right? So they agree that they have standards and that they make decisions whether something is acceptable or not acceptable. How that is different from a publisher really escapes me. It's convenient for them to say that this is just user content. If your feed was just a chronological list of everything that your friends had ever posted— that's one thing but they decide whether it's suitable to post at all then they decide whether you should see it how prominently and how frequently and yes. they also decide what you shouldn't see and they never tell you what they filter out yeah. so that is if that's not publication i don't know what well is. we go you know we can talk about the algorithms because i have
0: a couple of questions and thoughts about that but first i want to i want to get into two concerns i have one is uh, you know, and this, this shows up in the, in, in the minister's mandate letter in, uh, mana, the heritage minister's mandate letter that, um, the, the government wants platforms to remove things within 24 hours if they meet certain criteria as being offensive or dangerous to the public interest or good or whatever might be exploited and so on. Um, now, which is reminiscent of, for instance, um, the German hate speech law. Yep. The net DZ. Uh, yes. So, uh, now, one of the concerns, while that stuff ought to be policed very carefully, one of the concerns is that out of a, an abundance of caution, platforms that don't want to be fined are are going to err on the side of of censorship and take down first, and, and then of course you'll have no recourse to ever have it put back up. So it 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 in effect uh, censors individuals, uh, perhaps a priori, and it leads it up to corporate, mega corporations to do the censoring. So that concerns me. But p- uh, part two is, um, isn't it ultimately the individual who does the posting who ought to be held responsible for what they post and not the company?
1: So uh, as with most double barrels, let's take them in yes. reverse. Um, in Canadian law, they're both liable. So if the Globe and Mail were to publish a piece that was libelous or slanderous or whatever, Both the publisher of the Globe and Mail and the author of the piece would be liable. So um, the the answer is both. Um, To your your first point about the censorship, this is, I think, you know, um, again, one of the big misconceptions. If the law were crafted to say that they had to take down stuff that was offensive or whatever, yeah, I agree. That That would be a problem. But I think the starting place should be the expectation that they won't publish things that are illegal. Yes. No, right? I agree. No, <laughs> so, I agree. So that's, that's, the, that's the first thing. It's not just the opinion police. Okay, so that's, that's the first step. The second step, though, is, well, will they be too harsh? Will they err on the side of censorship? And do we want to leave it to them? I mean, I think that if we are faced with a choice between setting rules and expectations and leaving companies the freedom to comply, or... Having absolutely no rules and expectations and leaving these companies with the freedom to decide how our public speech should be governed, I would pick the former 12 times out of 10. Hmm. And they are already censoring. I mean, you know, how many, um, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, anti-vax posts do you see in your feed? I just, mean, the ones
0: I, just the ones I write.
1: Right, just the ones you write. I'm just kidding. No, no, but, no, but, but that's not your people, right? No. Now, there's tons of it on Facebook. I've never seen an anti-vax post. But there's tons of it on Facebook. Yeah. Why don't you see it? Because well, I'm not their audience. Well, because they're deciding not to show it to you. Yeah. So they're already deciding not to show things to people. Free speech is about what you can say. Is
0: this a micro-targeting problem, though?
1: Well, micro-targeting, I think, creates the incentive for this bad stuff to stay up. Because what Facebook has basically figured out is that it doesn't matter what the content is. If it gets you to look at the screen for one second longer, you're looking at ads for one second longer times 2.5 billion users, and that's money for them. Mm. And so, basically, they'll just show you anything they think you'll look at. And the human brain is hardwired. To pay more attention to things that are threatening and shocking. Yes. Because if you're on the savanna and that lion's coming at you and you're like, don't worry, man, it's going to be fine. You're not going to last long, yeah. right? So you pay attention to things that are threatening and sensational. And so that's our evolution. It's, um, there was a great article uh, by the, uh, someone who posted it on the Shorenstein um, um, uh, Center's website. Which basically said it's, it's very similar, actually, to how humans have craved fat and sugar over the years. Because when there was no food around, if you could find fat and sugar, you'd last longer. Being fat was good. But now our environment has changed. Our evolution hasn't changed. So what do we have? We have diabetes. And Facebook is like diabetes for your brain. right? (laughs) It is using your primal instinct to pay attention to shock and awe and sensation and things that are potentially dangerous and unsettling. And it is using that against you in a way that is deliberately addictive so that you'll just look at ads longer. It's it's commercialization without responsibility in the most extreme form.
0: So I mean, I wonder what it says about me that all the advertisements that I get are for mattresses. I don't. I, I feel like I'm missing out on something. Do you, do you sleep well at night, David? Well, not anymore. Not after not after recording days. Not anyway. Well, what about the the pushback that you know on on for instance anti-vax posts, uh, it's up to the individual to decide if they agree with it or not. I mean, I I don't happen to like micro I don't happen to like a- anti-vax ads and so on and so forth, but I think w- what worries some people is that what becomes an initially reasonable regulation which is don't, don't publish very specifically illegal uh, material um, gets pushed by either the censorious instinct or just the fear of, of being caught. Yeah, but into something like this.
1: Yeah, but you're creeping now, right? Sure. You're, well, that's my no, concern, though. No, no. You, you, but this argument is, 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 is derailing, right? So the first question is, you know, um, should we create incentives for platforms to censor? And I think we've established they already are based on their own commercial interests, but not on the public interest sure. and, and with no respect for laws or rules, right? So that's the first question, right? The second question is, you know, um, what should they be censoring? Anti-vax is a perfect example, right? Twitter will no longer boost anti-vax posts, right? Yeah. That's not illegal. It's not illegal. Yeah. It's not you could publish that in the in the in the in the Globe and Mail and say I don't think vaccinations are necessary, and that's your opinion. But science says it's harmful, so they're already making a value judgment about what to see and what not to see. So when we get back to this question of well, who should set the rules? You know, to say that the recommendations, such as the ones that are in this in this in this panel report, that basically say you know if it's illegal for a newspaper to do it, it should be illegal for an online newspaper to do it, and that there are other folks who are performing similar functions and we should bring them into our system you know everyone says oh i don't know about censorship well i say it's already happening it's happening every time you load your feed based on what they don't show you and it's happening in their own corporate policies and you know people talk about orwell how about the term community standards that facebook uses for their decision you know making um, uh, um, about about what should and shouldn't be i mean talk about an orwellian term there they are already doing it the question is Under what rules, accountable to whom, transparent to whom? And who will decide? If this is our public debate, if this is so important that people are going to freak out about this law because they want to preserve public debate, you should ask yourself why you are okay with a private company governing our private debate Mm. in their own commercial interest already. If that doesn't scare you, then you have a problem. So then we get to like, oh, the anti vax, no, 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 back up, right? They're already doing the censorship. They're just not doing it in our interest. They're doing it in their interest. And so, who's in charge of the country? Who's in charge of our democracy? Do you mean that's posts what ads? I mean, it's worth distinguishing between a post and an advertisement. I think the posts and the ads are in many ways interchangeable because they're trying to show you both that they think will appeal to you. Sure. So, I think well, the post that, gets you to stare at the ad. Right? Yeah. And, and they, 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 they're generated the same way. They, they, they collect data about you, and that's um, what they sell to advertisers and then but they collect that data based on the post that you click on yeah and so they want to show you more of that stuff so that you can stay longer and uh and and see the ads in other words they collect the information but once they get it right they got to crank it up yeah. because they got to keep you going so the way they serve you ads and the way they serve you news are basically entirely the same well, it's this, just what they think this will is what worries
0: me more than anything in fact it's not it isn't. I mean, I'm worried about the things we've discussed already. But what I'm really worried about is that once they've created a profile of you, once the algorithm has has slotted you into a very particular slot, you're going to get more and more and more of the same, and you're never going to see anything you disagree with. I mean, I, I you know what, what worries me about the online space is, is, in fact, that it is going to stifle debate and, and free thinking by turning us into data points uh, and presenting us repeatedly with things that we already agree with.
1: And it does that already, which, you know, puts the lie to this, you know, hysterical critique um, by the likes of, you know, Michael Geist, Peter Menzies, Andrew Coyne have been putting these in the Globe and Mail recently, you know, quite a lot. This hysterical critique that this is the end of free speech. And I'm looking at the current situation about how free speech goes on Facebook. And I'm like, what world do you live in, man? You know, I mean, who are you kidding? This is not free. (laughs) This is controlled by a handful of big American monopolies who are already censoring, who are already filtering. You just don't have any say in what's acceptable to be filtered in or out. No. Um, what, what free debate? It doesn't exist, and it doesn't exist because we haven't protected the public sphere. And that's what the public does. And I think that's what this report is trying to do. It may not be perfect, and there's also a lot to be worked out You know, in the regulations and implementation and blah, blah, blah. But the point is... That The current system does not support free speech. That speech is not free. It is, Or at least your access to it is not free. Um, it's, it's mediated by money and it's, it's mediated by these filter bubbles and these data profiles and by community standards and by their own algorithmic tests, etc. So it's not free. The question is, do you want you know, a democratic government to be setting rough rules and standards? I mean, not thought police, not super specific, but the equivalent of what we've had in television and and radio. Look, I mean, here's another thing. Everyone's saying, oh, the journalists are going to have to register, you know, with the CRTC. This is the thought police. Well, we
0: know whose fault that was, though. That was the minister
1: not uh, seeming to understand his own report. Fair enough. But even still, you know, um, broadcasters have been registered with the CRTC, for years. And I don't think anyone is suggesting that CTV news is somehow, you know, compromised by the government because they have a license from the CRTC. Right? No, That's but- been the case forever. So people are, I think, really not looking at the status quo and they're kind of just, they're they're just sort of taking this report as an abstract academic concern and trying to to infuse it with conjecture and critique. And I, I think that's dangerous considering what we're playing with here.
0: I half agree. I mean, so on the one hand... I, the big I, half
1: or the small half? Or?
0: Well, <laughs> uh, well, let's find out. Uh, so I, I agree that once I sorted out what exactly the report seemed to mean when they were talking about the registration or the uh, the, the report talks about. I mean, I have no problem, for instance, saying that uh, we you know we want a registration system. Uh, now that's very different than a licensing system, so we can talk about the the uh, you know what's onerous and what's not and, and what's reasonable. But it, the, the report also calls for the collection of data. Uh, Brought, you know, the sort uh, for the purposes of of returning it to the agency so they can understand who 's looking at what and what 's being um, broadcast and who 's viewing what et cetera et etc, et and appear into the algorithms so you you might object, and I think that i 'm thinking about this, I think that I do that the government wants to collect private data from companies
1: so that they can understand who 's looking at what mm, well i don 't think that 's accurate um, I think that um, this is, again, about extending and adapting laws that started with broadcasting mm. to a new reality where what's a broadcaster is 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 less uniform. And so the broadcasters now have to disclose data to the CRTC. They have to disclose the number of hours of children's programming and news programming and all this kind of stuff that they're doing. They have to disclose how many people are watching. They have to disclose how much they've spent on certain things. So I think what the... Um, panel is trying to do here is create a system analogous to that where we can have an understanding of what content is being produced and provided and what is not so that we can try to stimulate in areas where um, necessary content is not being produced. So, audience data has been provided by broadcasters forever. I don't think anyone is suggesting that the CRTC will have a license to find out what David looked at at eleven thirty last night. No. I think that burn notice, yeah and, right. ads, yeah, and mattress ads, yeah, mattress <laughs> ads, um, uh, which I paid for, by the way.
0: Yeah. I should, I should, I should self-disclose as a very uh, particular stickler when it comes to paying
1: for content. I mean, that's a sign that I'm getting old, I think. Yeah, perhaps, but. They what they are asking for, I think, would be the ability to go and say, "All right, how much news is there on your platform? Can you tell us how much news there is? Right of the time that you know Canadians spend on your platform, or of the articles that Canadians uh, see on your platform or click on on your platform, what percentage of them are news? What percentage of them, you know, did you consider inappropriate for publication? Like that kind of data um, that the company would provide to a regulator." It's the same as in any regulated industry. The banks do it. um, The media does it. And these industries are regulated for a reason, because when they break, really bad things happen. You know, we don't regulate yeah. the, you know, the, the, the microphone industry or whatever. If your microphone breaks, we don't have a podcast. I mean, that is a minor travesty, no offense, but only sure. a minor one, yeah. right? Yeah. But, you know, when the news breaks, you lose your democracy, and that's a real problem. And so that's why these, these industries have been regulated, because of their incredible ability to impact politics. And so for these platforms, Netflix is Canada's number one broadcaster, its competitors have to disclose audience data to the CRTC. It doesn't. Its competitors have to make contributions to Canadian content, to financing it. It doesn't. So what we're talking about is just leveling the playing field. The we're Netflix. not talking about asking for a subpoena about what sure. you watched no, last no. week.
0: No, I know. And, and, but it strikes me that Netflix, for instance, is a, a different kind of entity than because they are deciding what they put up there, and in some cases they're producing it. Uh, Facebook, however, it, it is individual users who are effectively... I mean, this is strikes me as one of the problems of, of trying to sort out who's a broadcaster.
1: Is is Facebook the broadcaster or am I the broadcaster? And, well, I think the answer is both. Facebook is the sharing platform, and this is, again, why the panel, I think, quite smartly tried to say, okay, wait yeah. a minute. We recognize that Facebook has responsibilities here, and we recognize that Netflix has responsibilities, but we also recognize that they operate differently and their responsibilities should be different, yeah. right? I mean, we should reflect the reality of the business. We're not trying to stifle the market. So, um, Netflix, as a producer, that's sort of also a distributor, yeah. um, You know, will have one set of requirements and one set of ways to, to contribute to the system and one set of obligations for how they'll deal with the regulator. Facebook, which is not producing the content but does make decisions about what gets published and not published, that does pocket the advertising money, will have a different set of obligations because like, paying people for content – is a problem for F- Facebook and YouTube, where they don't do it, but on Netflix they do pay people for content. Yeah. So you know, it's, YouTube it's, pays
0: some people for content.
1: Well, some people, yeah, but it's 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 different. The business models are different. The problems are different. And so the obligations of the regulator and the obligations of the company should be different. So when you say is Facebook a broadcaster, one of the I think most enlightened aspects of this panel is that it recognizes that yeah everyone needs to be in the system but they're now different enough that we need to be able to accommodate those variations in the regulation and that's why they have this curators aggregators and sharers your obligations should be different who is the broadcaster when you post on facebook who is the publisher is really you know i think the answer is both it's just like sending that letter to the editor of the globe and mail you wrote it they put it on the front page, and it takes two to tango. And so, you know, if there is a problem, if that content is illegal or you know libelous or slanderous or hate hateful or you know shows illegal activity or whatever, if it's against the law, if it's bad, you're both responsible, just like a newspaper would be.
0: Okay, so I want to touch on algorithms really quickly, and then move on to uh, Canadian content, and finally to a quick talk about the CBC. Uh, we, we, I mean, we could talk about this all day, but. What about companies who push back and say, well, you know, you want access to our algorithms to decide what we're displaying? Because part of this is about uh, recommending that broadcasters, curators, et cetera, et cetera, display certain types of com- content more prominently than others, Canadian content. What about companies that say, well, that's proprietary and, and quite frankly, none of your business because it's a trade secret? Mm-hmm. Quite, quite frankly, I think in some cases they don't even
1: understand their own algorithms, but
0: that's a different problem.
1: No, they they, they don't by definition, but um, uh, uh, I would say that banks are another good example of this. Regulators have inspected banks to make sure that they're adequately capitalized, that their risk controls and um, money laundering protections and all that kind of stuff are in place. And I can't think of one case where Bank A made a real commotion because the regulator shared their trade secrets with Bank B. You
0: think we can just trust the regulator
1: not to disclose? Well, if the regulator makes you know violates disclosure I mean that's what happens in China and stuff like that, yeah. you know, where that you set up a factory and all of a sudden they steal your stuff and they have a competitor next door um yeah. I, I don't think Canada has a history of working that way. We have lots of regulators working in sensitive and competitive industries um and I can't think of one instance where the regulator has been responsible for sharing proprietary information with a competitor ever i mean if you can if you can think of that, let me know, but I think that's a problem that just doesn't exist. Um, I think what they're really saying (laughs) is we would like to make decisions and not be responsible for them. We would like to maintain the fiction that all of this is user content and we will deny you the ability to inspect the algorithms that could prove us wrong.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, they're responsible for it in the sense that they're responsible to the market. They're just not responsible to the government. I mean, if, if, for instance, Netflix puts things on Netflix you don't like, then you can go get Amazon Prime or you can go get crave or you can go get back or back in the day what was a show me which i actually quite liked and missed yeah uh you you can go to a competitor so they're responsible in a
1: sense Uh, but it's about compliance so for example one of the one of the issues with uh canadian content rules is on linear tv it was defined in hours yeah you know x number of hours a week original canadian drama you know between the hours of you know 2 and 10 p.m or whatever right um that's, that's easy enough to, to see. And someone can go and watch TV and, and, and check that you did it. Um, with streaming and on demand, it doesn't work that way. And so there is this idea of discoverability, which is the law in the European Union and other countries are taking on, which is like, okay, it's not enough that this content exists. People need to be able to find it somehow. All right. So if you have discoverability rules, right, which, which seem reasonable enough, then the question is, how do you know that they're complying? And the only way that you know that you're complying is if you can show up and say, "Well, show me the thing that's making the decisions I want to make sure that 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 you're doing what you say you will um, that that seems reasonable to me um, you know obligations without the ability to to uh, confirm compliance aren't really obligations at all and uh, again, if they can show me one single example in Canada from the last you know ten 20, 30, 40, 50 years of a regulator sharing proprietary trade secrets with a competitor, maybe then we'll talk, but I don't think we have an epidemic of that. No, I don't think so either. Uh, so it's a straw man. It's, it's, it doesn't exist.
0: Yeah so I'm so to- you know it's funny is is I'm I spent a lot of time thinking and reading ahead of this of this recording and I'm deeply torn because I don't trust large corporations, but I don't really trust um, the government either. And so it's, I find that I've got no one to root for in this. But so that I think that brings us nicely into the realm of Canadian content. <laughs> um, I often find myself having a hard time uh, finding someone to root for. Uh, now, on the one hand, I mean the argument in favor of, of either funding Canadian content through a levy or through uh, or through um, uh, spending proportions. Or, and through, and then supporting it through discoverability, is that there's something valuable about, about Canadian culture, about Canadian stories, about the Canadian experience, but it's under uh, assault from largely American programming and some other programming. We want to support it. I think smuggled into that argument uh, in favor of Canadian content is often a, a very ornate jobs program and industry giveaway. And I think if you watch the press conference that accompanied the report, you saw a little bit of a reversal. You saw a little bit more focus on the jobs program element and less on the cultural value element. And I worry that a lot of this is about uh, giving away money to to uh, Canadian production companies and, and uh, companies that uh, link to, say, Bell and so on. And Less about the actual culture.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of the production is done by independent houses that are not owned by the broadcasters at all. So just you know, uh, but
0: not but Bell's Bell's doing just fine under this program too, right?
1: Uh, to some extent, although I think Bell, if you if you gave them their 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 dithers, you know, the most profitable um, arrangement for them would be no Canadian content requirements sure. because they just repackage American yeah. shows. They wouldn't have to make them. They wouldn't have to take a risk on whether they're successful. They buy them up for a few bucks. They repackage them with Canadian ads. They sit around and – But if there has to be Canadian content, then they wouldn't mind getting that money to make it, right? Right. But the the Canadian content for Bell is uh, an obligation that they spend a certain amount of their money financing this stuff, right? So they then have an incentive to try and make it good. Sure. Um, and, or just treat it as a cost of doing business or to and sell throw it, it away. Or, yeah. to, or to sell it abroad. Or to sell it abroad or whatever. But I think that there are a couple of um, – there there are a few issues here. So first, yeah, you're right. The definition of Canadian content that's currently used for tax credits and stuff like that is purely industrial. doesn't take into account the story or anything like and that.
0: And the report's not talking about revisiting
1: that. Uh, no, it's not too yeah. – uh, I have to double check. I yeah, don't believe I don't, so, but I, I don't think I, I really. can't say with certainty. Okay. But let's let's just say that they're not. So so that's 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 a problem uh, in and of itself. But there's this other myth that, that you know, which is kind of related, right? Yeah. That this is just some sort of uh, welfare program for Canadian studios. What they produce is kind of crappy, and uh, we're just shoving it down people's throats. Yeah. Um, and there's no need for it anyways, because, you know, why do we need this? Right? All right. So I would, I would say, let's, let's, let's look at them. Fair enough. They're, they're, they're fair points. You know, the, the success now of, um, you know, Kim's Convenience, and with an E, um, Schitt's Creek, uh, around the world on Netflix yeah. <laughs> um, show that, that there is a market for these stories that are distinctively Canadian. I mean you know I, I live in Toronto, and uh, you know Toronto is a character in, uh, in Kim's convenience. It, it, it really is sure. it's in Moss Park, like you recognize the neighborhood. they talk about it it's, it's a character in the show, um, and that hasn't stopped it from being successful worldwide, so we've now established that there can be Canadian shows that are about Canada that Canadians and everyone else wants to want to, to, to watch. So, that gets rid of the argument that Canadian content requirements on Netflix, for example, are just some sort of theft, because actually there is plenty of evidence, including on Netflix, that there can be Canadian shows, and if they're good, they can make money selling them around the world. So, yeah. so this idea that it's just garbage. The Alias that comes, Grace was that that was a Canadian. Yeah, uh, it, it was uh, Alias Grace. I believe is was well, a Margaret Atwood. Um, yeah, underlying, and I'm not sure if it was made in Canada or not. I'm, I'm trying to think of examples because I, you know, it strikes me as
0: years ago I was a huge fan of the show Made in Canada. Do you remember this show? With Rick Mercer. Yeah. It was no laugh track. It was the Avro Arrow of Canadian television programming. Mm -hmm. It was a moment where we were ahead of the curve. We had done something remarkable, and we killed it two years in.
1: Yep. So here's here's so here's the second part, right? The Avro Arrow is, I think, a good one. Do we need this? The cultural the cultural aspect of it. So I, I don't know if you watch Baroness von Sketch on on CBC, the comedy.
0: Uh, no, but I, I know from people I respect, it's objectively quite good.
1: It's it's objectively really funny, and there is um, a scene, a sketch in in one of the recent seasons where uh, people are sitting in a theater and a woman comes out onto the stage and starts doing a land acknowledgment you know and we must you know appreciate that we are on the unceded territory and someone stands up and says okay uh so so that that's great so are we uh are we going to give it back and they say no, we're just acknowledging that we're just, okay, but part of the production is going to, to help, you know, make things right with the indigenous people that we stole this land from, right? No, 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 that the production, the, the ticket money goes to the theater, you know? Okay, but the, the bottled water, like, we'll give something. They said, no, that money goes to Nestle. We're just acknowledging, right? So it was funny. It was awkward. It's a situation that we've all been in it speaks to our country and our history and our future and a very important issue, um, you're not going to get that through the censors at NBC because what do they care about that? Yeah. That's, not their, that's not their beat. And so you know, entertainment programming in particular, it reflects our values. It reflects what's normal, what's okay, what the good life looks like, what we should aspire to, whose pain we should feel. And if we decide that we're going to get all of that content from a country where half the people think it's okay to take a gun to a kindergarten, we're going to have real problems here. I mean, you know, in the United States, there are things that are culturally acceptable, right, uh, that 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 are just not culturally acceptable here. You know, um, same-sex marriage is no longer a controversial legal topic here, even on the right in, in parliament, right? Um, well.
0: No, among it, a, among a handful of I, I mean there's a potty trained version of the right and the last a less the, the last the, right.
1: the last two leaders of the Conservative Party for you know 15 years have said we're not touching this this is the law we're done yeah. right um, there you know there have been uh, you know um, uh, medically assisted dying, the legalization of marijuana, right? Like there are uh, not going to Iraq, uh, not putting kids in cages, you know, multiculturalism as opposed to, to, to this to xenophobia. There are different values in our societies, in, in the Canada and the United States in particular. And how does that happen? How does that perpetuate itself? How do you know? You know, you're 4,000 kilometers away from Vancouver, right? You know, how, how do you know? How do you establish that? We establish that through conversation, through these shared experiences that tell us what's normal, what's okay. And that allow us to be a better country, to be ourselves. And we have this choice as to whether or not we want to have our own conversation and deal with, like, the land acknowledgements and stuff like yeah. this. Or whether we just want to be a spectator in someone else's cultural problems. And that's not our society. So, you know, I think that means that Canadian content is really important. It's super important. It's not everything you should watch or listen to. It's, 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 a, it's part of a balanced diet, you know. Um, but... It is important, and there is evidence right now that it is good, in demand, and profitable, and able to be sold, not just in Canada, but by these streaming companies around the world. So the only difference is, are we going to require them to invest in it or not? And if Netflix was making Canadian content, it would be good because they would they would want to sell it worldwide. Sure. They would say, "Okay, we have to spend this. We're going to make it as good as we can." we would benefit from that and 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 so would the company. So, I think our our principle has always been if you benefit from the system, you have to contribute to it. And because we have the same language and in many cases the same accent as the United States, which is, you know, has hundreds and hundreds of times more cultural exports than we do, we've been overrun with American content since the very very beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, and like the most popular show on radio in Canada when radio first came out before CBC in the 20s was Amos and Andy. Mm -hmm. Amos and Andy, when it first went on TV, was two dudes in blackface, right? It was a type of racial humor that was totally didn't reflect our politics or our society. That's actually one of the reasons why they created the C B C was to say, wait a minute, this isn't this isn't us, this isn't our society. So there is there we we need to make it the market on its own financially is is its incentive is to just repackage the American stuff. And so this, the principle has always been, if you benefit, you contribute. And so there are these people now who are benefiting. Actually, they are the largest beneficiaries who make no contributions. And but they do make a contribution in the sense that they're producing stuff
0: people want to watch, though, right? I mean, it's not like, it, uh, you know, it, it isn't as if...
1: If CBC, if CBC did not commission Von Sketch or um, Kim's Convenience or uh, Schitt's Creek, they would not have been made. I think that I think we can fairly say that. Sure. And we now know that but actually people want to watch them.
0: Is it a scale problem? I mean, let's very quickly let's get to the fundamental problem of why we need to put money into CanCon. Why doesn't it just get made? Because it's
1: riskier. It's riskier. If you, the easiest thing to do is to wait and see what's already a hit in the United States and just you know rebroadcast it. Yeah. Okay. That's the easiest thing to do for the for for Netflix. It's about scale. For Canadian companies, it's about programming investment and risk. Um, you have to make a show of a certain quality, but selling to a smaller market. You have a higher chance, you know, have higher risk. You want to make sure it's a hit. The Americans are financing shows against 10 times the potential revenue stream and population, so they can spend a little bit more. And we might as well just take that stuff that's already been proven and right. tried and they, true. The Americans can place more bets. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, it, it's, it's a financial thing, but once it gets made, we have this evidence now that that people want to watch it not just here but abroad i mean i i went the executive um the producer of uh of kim's convenience and he was saying like it was amazing that the crew sorry the cast uh went to la for this asian film festival that was there and they were stopped in the street by people who just who recognized them and mm. they were celebrities and this would not have been made if it were not for our rules, let's that we have to have some Canadian programming on and the programmers are like, OK, well, if we have to do it, we should make it good. And they have made it good. The amount of Canadian talent, writing, directing, acting, producing that is in Hollywood, let alone in Canada still is enormous. Sure. So I think if we doubt our ability to make stories that pertain to our society and our circumstances that are and, and think that anything that we could come up with would just be crappy i think we have a really bad self-confidence problem that we should look at the evidence is all to the contrary the talent is enormous the talent is enormous mm-hmm. and the, well traditionally it goes to the, the united states doesn't it I mean, right if, if you right. look at
0: the history of american broadcast television it's full of canadians but this films. is
1: how you make a market yeah. You know, I mean, with music, there was no market for Canadian music in, in the 70s. And we said radio has to play a certain amount of Canadian music. And all of a sudden they were like, oh, what do we do? And, you know, then pfft, there they came right? Um, And, and the, the, the industry has, has been, we have punched way above our weight globally for a long time, but you have to, you have to create the market. Mm -hmm. And if we have confidence in our creators, which I most definitely do, then I think that creating the market will result in good product. And these shows are demonstrating to us and to Netflix. If you make it and make it well, there is an audience and it can be profitable, not just in Canada, but around the world. This is not, this is not some sort of theft. It's not going to impoverish them. Um, It's just making sure that that our culture, our circumstances are recognized and and discussed. Uh,
0: Well, we're running up against time, but I want to touch on two things before we finish. The the first is, uh, you know, you talk about Canadian content and an export market. So we've got both Canadian content that's consumed domestically and Canadian content that is perhaps consumed domestically, but it certainly is exported. The United Kingdom... uh, roughly two times our population, but has a history of producing much more than two times uh, the export market worth of content. They've been quite successful at exporting. What is it about the British system that has allowed them to produce such good content that we haven't been able to do? Because they're only twice as big, and they're they're beside Europe, which is, of course, is not exactly analogous to the United States and Canada for linguistic and other reasons, but uh, there's competition there too. Who's the biggest
1: player in the... British production sector. Is Historically, it the BBC? It is the BBC.
0: Yeah. Are they well funded and when we're not so well funded?
1: The BBC gets more than 3 times uh, as much money per person as uh, the CBC and they have twice as many people. They broadcast in one language in one time zone whereas the CBC is in six time zones has English and French um, two radio and two TV in each, plus digital in each, and a northern service in English, French, and eight indigenous languages with one sixth of the money. So do the math, right? I mean, they have, they have they have protected and fomented a production sector that now excels globally. Um, and the actors are fantastic and all of that is, you know, cultural funding. The arts councils pay for theaters. Museums are free. Theaters are cheap. You know, it's all part of the same scene. Uh, they don't, they don't lack the, the, the confidence culturally that we do. Um, in fact, they may have a, uh, an overabundance of well, it. Well, and they have a <laughs> slightly better social democratic tradition in some ways too. Well, I mean, that's, you know, we, we can, we can go all the way down the yeah. line and I, I'm, we'll guilty. Say that for a I, I'm episode. guilty of we'll have taking a socialism it there. Episode, But, the, but right? the public, the public broadcaster in the UK, is the driving force of production historically and presently, yeah. um, and their test for British content. Includes things like the Britishness of the story and where the characters come from and where it's set. So actually, their cultural test is is actually much more restrictive and specific than mm-hmm. ours is, and they've still been able to succeed. And I think that should just show us that there's nothing to fear by going further.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fa- I mean, the thick of it is one of my favorite shows it comes from the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. uh, and had effectively it became Veep. So you had a, ca- a case there where a British show, which featured quite frankly uh, at times accents that were very difficult to penetrate, uh, if you weren't uh, used to them uh and and references that you wouldn't get you had to look up uh, then became through through the writer who then went to the u.s uh, an american show that became successful
1: yeah and 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 uh it the thick of it became um also in the loop and yeah. it became the death of stalin yeah. it's the same it's the same guy Gianucci, right? is that yeah name yeah. Is, yeah and so it's it's been this this you know raging success um, but it was not made for global export; it was made for domestic consumption so much more, so much so that even us you know who speak English um, you know can understand it yeah <laughs> yeah um, <I'll> agree. <laughs> because it 's not it 's not sold to us, and yet you know lo and behold, we want to watch it you know so why do Canadians doubt ourselves so much? Why do we think that if we had something that 's about our our society and our circumstances that no one would want to watch it? i mean this level of uh, uh, of of Lack of, of self doubt yeah. is 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 really troubling and um and and needs to just be confronted. I mean, this is really what we're talking about. You know, it's just a total lack of self confidence.
0: The show has the, one of my favorite lines in the history of programming, which is, uh, "He's so dense that light bends around him." There you if go. there's been a better line, I've never come across it. So, all right. So I, I've taken up a lot of your time, but I want to end on this. Uh, and a quick note to the to the panel. I don't want to make it seem there's a lot of good work in this panel, especially on the telecom issue, and and I'm increasingly convinced, perhaps, on the broadcast side too. Uh, but uh, they do tackle the issue of indigenous. Um, considerations too quite well which i wish you more time to uh, to talk about but it's slightly adjacent um although i would say part of the canadian content effort has to be focused on
1: indigenous programming and stories obviously of course that's germane to our to our culture society yeah. politics justice like canada is grappling with how to deal with this yeah. and it's the original sin of our country if we don't have it reflected in our cultural content of course a huge thing is missing i mean come on yeah i mean that's a perfect example of, of the points I've been trying to make. Okay. Fantastic. Well, and let's close
0: on this. I feel a little bit badly closing on this because it, we could have several episodes. Uh, what are we to make of the CBC? So one of the things the report says they want a new funding model. They want stable five-year commitments. I'm not sure that I would have gone with a five-year plan, uh, it has a bit of a marketing problem, doesn't Five-year plans. But uh, they want a five-year uh, funding commitment, and um, they want CBC not to run ads, which I think is great. I have to say, I've got a, I, I am a big fan of the public broadcaster. Uh, it, in recent years, has, through parliamentary appropriations, subscriptions, and advertising, come to take in more revenue than all newspapers combined, more ad revenue. Uh, that just happened, I think, maybe last year, which is a bit of a problem.
1: Uh, yeah, I have to go and check on that number i mean the cbc 's um, commercial revenue, which includes like subscriptions and that yeah. kind of thing, is in the four hundred million dollar range of which about three quarters is advertising and falling fast, yeah, so the same issues that plague newspapers for advertising affect the cbc it 's one of the main reasons why getting out of advertising. Is a is a good idea, um, if for no other reason than as a revenue source, it's dissipating.
0: Yes. So, but it, w- uh, if you were to say to me what what you think the CBC would would look like or should look like, I would say it should be ad free, it should be subscription free, Gem should go the way of the uh, Carolina Parakeet, and uh, it, it should focus on local and regional news more, and it should be open license. Why can't we have that?
1: I mean, I think that all of those, um, are good things. The open license, we might want to parse the details, but I don't think we'll get into that. Because
0: we don't want CBC to be a competitor to the private market, do we? We we want it to be a compliment. We want it to be a
1: compliment. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. The way I try and think about it is, is coming back to our original conversation about why we need this panel report. What is the state of the media? Our news media and ad-supported media are dying because of all the policy injustices and other issues that are sending all the stuff to Facebook. Our entertainment media are dying because the system that used to sustain them, without too much government support, but structure, right? Um, That system that used to sustain them is disappearing because all the money is going to companies like Netflix that don't participate in the system. And so that's the situation that we're facing. What are we going to do? And I see the CBC as being... um, an integral part of the solution, you know, uh, unfortunately those 250 media outlets that closed, not all of them are going to come back. And, you know, most of them will not come back. Mm. And for the new startups that, that are able to emerge, they're not going to be national. They're not going to have a court reporter in Saskatoon, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so then we have to ask ourselves, well, do we want to have a court reporter in Saskatoon or not? And if we do, then it's going to be public. I mean, that's, that's, that's the answer. And so, um, so so, so that's, that's how I think it's best to conceive of the CBC. It's like, all right, what's the problem, and how are we going to fix it? And so many of these cases, the only answer is, is a public intervention. So that's public broadcasting um, or public service media, as it's known elsewhere in the world. Um, and, and the rest is just details. But the commitment—and and I really mean that. I don't say that flippantly, because the thing that's missing the most— is a commitment to make sure that Canadians have access to news that is relevant to them, that is germane to them, and that Canadians have access to entertainment programming that, you know, reflects challenges and hopefully advances our 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 society and and and, and you know stimulates us and we enjoy um, from from across the world, including content from Canada. How are we gonna make that? And I think if any any solution um is gonna have to involve some cbc if we didn't if we didn 't have a cbc today we 'd need to invent one, yes, and so uh, it needs to be better, it needs to be better funded, it needs to be more independently funded i mean cbc goes to the goes to Parliament every year to ask for money, and they 're supposed to be adversarial with that same parliament now, I know the newsroom is not impacted by management, but do you really want to be the person who wrote the story that broke the budget and got everyone fired i mean you know it's it 's a pressure that people feel so um Having independence of funding for CBC is important. Having better independence for its board is important. Uh, and having it be local, regional news is important. But in order to do that, we have to pay for it. But in order to pay for it, we have to be committed to it. And, yeah. and I think that is really what's, what's missing at the government level. But I would note, it's not missing at the citizen level. Like, Friends of Canadian Broadcasting exists. Because there are hundreds of thousands of people in Canada who care strongly about our culture and our democracy. And for them, the CBC is a really important way of delivering and guaranteeing that. And so they support us to be an advocate for them in Ottawa to promote public broadcasting and all all the rest of the things we've been talking about, but also to criticize the CBC when they deviate from that public, from that public line. And, you know, we know that 80% of the population would advise their MP to maintain or increase funding for the CBC. In, really? In, in, yes, huh. including more than half of conservative voters. That's a Nanos poll that we did, you know, just um, in the in the springtime just passed. Uh, we'll, we'll do another one again soon, I'm sure. Um, we know that Canadians support that. You know, people go to friends.ca, they sign our petitions. We have um, a process now. The CBC is getting its broadcasting licenses renewed. The CRTC makes it kind of difficult for citizens to participate. We ask
0: people to. Another su- good part of the report, incidentally, is that they're calling for um, to make that easier and
1: to fund it. A yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. But you know, we put out the the word and we make it easy. We can f- we can navigate the process. We ask people to to submit their ideas. You know, we've had almost eight thousand submissions. Hmm. Um, People have things to say, and most of them are positive, and most of them are asking for something to be better. Um, and they they want the CBC to be better and to deliver on its public mandate more fulsomely. So the support is there. It's the leadership that's really missing. And um I think Friends is proof that... Canadians care about this stuff and that there are political there are votes to be won by caring about this stuff, you know. Um and, and we're supported by people throughout the country, urban, rural, um young and old, um, you know, who, who 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 think that Canada is an independent country and should have an independent conversation that befits one. You know, and that should have a government that behaves like a sovereign state. It doesn't just say, "Oh well, Facebook broadcast the Christchurch massacre. Ah, oh, shucks. But instead it says, "Wait a minute, broadcasting this is illegal. Who did that? We're we're going to press charges, right?" Um, people believe that. People want it. People are dying for it. I think one of the reasons why politicians are so popular is because there has not yet been anyone who stepped up and delivered that type of leadership and assertiveness that Canadians are just so hungry for. And the media is is an important place to find that. It's not the only place, but it's an important place to find that. So, you know, people who are interested in these types of conversations, which we are having right now, you and me, about Canada, the people mm-hmm. are listening to, the people are interested in, you know, that's the conversation that we want to make sure that there's space for. So, people, you know, I would encourage your, your listeners to go visit us at friends.ca, sign up to our newsletter, it's free. Um, we'll, we'll keep you up to date about what's going on, we'll give you opportunities to get involved because politicians will never know. How much we care unless we tell them. (laughs) Well, and and, and that's the simple reality of the fact that's what we exist to do. And the fact that there is such wide support for our work shows that there is an appetite for this. It's not just a few, uh, a few people who are, you know, uh, um, trying to push their opinion. Well, that that brings us to time. In fact, that brings us a little past
0: time, uh, which is good news, though, because we're going to more than fulfill our Canadian content requirements. For, for quite a long time uh, thank you very much for coming here and doing this uh, this has been a fascinating discussion and I have to say I, th- I think it's possible that you might be a better defender of this report than well anyone I've come across including a few of those who participated in writing it so I, 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 I'm wavering I, I might have changed my mind on a couple of things so, um, so Canadian content not only entertaining but um, morally and, and intellectually instructive as well maybe And so uh, my thanks to you and uh, my encouragement to everyone listening, including politicians who I know listen, to to take uh, this to heart and to think about it, including thinking about uh, more funding for the CBC so we can have our very own the thick of it. And and, uh, my thanks to Amir Ahmad as always for producing, and to all the listeners who are uh, Canadian or otherwise, uh, CanCon compliant or otherwise, Facebook or Friendster users, uh, Spotify or whatever competes with Spotify users, uh, Gem subscribers all half dozen of you who subscribe to gem as well my thank you to you for listening and we'll talk to you again soon